I've noticed over the last two years, as I've stepped into this and become even more clear and more bold, that our church has grown faster than ever. ever. People are hungry for the truth. Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks Podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. What's up, folks? What a day for you to listen to this podcast show. I want to welcome y'all. It is a special day because we're recording this the day after the midterm elections. And I've got a guest on who... Well, he's got something to say. We're men of like passion. Uh, We both served in the military. We both uh, went to the sandbox. Mm. Uh, So we understand life and reality. Uh, I'll call you Pastor Ryan. He he passes one of the fastest growing churches in the United States right now, uh, according to Outreach Magazine, which I'm sure that's what you live for. The titles. <laughs> Woo! Uh, and <laughs> you, you, I will say this. I know you're effective because somebody I recently really helped see come to faith in Christ, uh, a mutual friend, uh, Evan, who is Jewish, came to know the Messiah. And I remember him asking, well, where do I go? I don't want to go to this or that or I just said man you have to try places out on your own and go where you're getting fed and he landed at your fellowship so with that introduction for context folks welcome Pastor Ryan hey thank you it's good to be with you it's an honor to speak with you I've heard a lot of good things about you through mutual friends and I'm excited that we get to finally chat well this is this is good we're both pastors. We're both uh, warriors. I mean, uh, people call me a pastor. I'm technically an evangelist. I tried pastoring. I just wasn't good at it. But I have a very good understanding of what pastors go through and their families. And it's it's a tough life. For those that are doing it right. For those that aren't doing it right, you know... It, it, they try to conform it to be just, I think, uh, the best little cakewalk possible, which, in my opinion, is one of the problems we're having in our country right now, that there's a whole lot of guys who call themselves pastors that, in my opinion, just my opinion, should look for another line of work. If they're not going to repent, if they're not going to heed the call, because it's, it's, it's hurting the cause. But uh, anyway, I, I'm having to get off my soapbox right now. Coming off of last night elections, I'm not aggravated. I'm not bummed. I'm actually motivated at the, uh, the, some of the changes that were made. But it's still very telling, isn't it, Ryan, of, yeah. of where we are as a nation? It is. You know, I'm a pastor's kid, so I grew up in the church, and through my parents, you know, I kind of have 
the perspective of even the previous generation of Christians. Mm. And I caught the tail end of the church as it existed in the previous generation, more in the legalistic kind of behavioral yeah. modification days. Right. And I didn't like that, to be honest. You know, I was one of those rambunctious, right. rebellious kids. I didn't like uh, that legalistic environment. And I had my own kind of rebellion against God for a season, like many people did. Uh, went off into the army, um, became an army officer, deployed to Iraq, uh, expense paid vacation courtesy of the government. And when I was there, you know, I, ha I happened to be at one of the lowest points of my life. After running from God for years, I just gotten divorced against my will and was ashamed of myself, the way I've been living, feeling rejected, feeling alone, uh, didn't have any family or support around me. And here I am, this kid that grew up in church, going to camp services and been around God all my life, had heard hundreds, thousands of sermons. And I think in my head, I believed in what I was hearing. But in my heart, there was no transformation. There was no love for the Lord or appreciation for what he did. And so here I was in Iraq. I was in Kirkuk, Iraq at Fob Warrior. And well, that's a fun was, place. Yeah, it was it was a joy. <laughs> so Folks, I'm that's starting... being said with the greatest level of sarcasm possible. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Kirkuk not long ago, so it's, it's oh, still... Man. Still crazy. Yeah, it was a trip. You know, every day we've got mortars and rockets landing on our heads. Oh, yeah. Oh, it yeah. was just an interesting way to live. Definitely brought me face to face with my mortality pretty quick mm. at a young age. So I'm there by myself. I'm starting to have suicidal thoughts, uh, depressed. And one day I'm alone in my little chew, my little hut that I lived in. And I grabbed this camouflage Bible and I started reading in John chapter one about Jesus coming from the father, full of grace and truth came to his own. They didn't recognize him. They didn't receive him. And in that moment, it was like years of my head knowledge transferred to something in my heart. I wow. felt this overwhelming warmth and love just wash over me. It was the first time in my life. I felt like God spoke to me and he said, I'm pleased with you. And I was shocked mm. because I felt like the biggest idiot in the world at that point. Wow. But it was an understanding of his perfect love. And in that moment, I loved Jesus in return. Not long after that, God's doing this work in my life. And I started to feel a change. You know, I was having a good time in the army and enjoying my time. I mean, as much as you can. <laughs> but Yeah, in Kirk Cook. I liked the guys that I got to be with. Yeah. You know, every veteran knows that's like the only part you really miss is yeah. the veterans, the camaraderie. Um. But I started to feel this change in this call into ministry. And the, I remember the first day it hit me when I was working out, I felt like God put this in my heart, this call to ministry. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, Victor. And my response was, oh, hell no. Right, I don't right. want to do that. You know? right. And I just didn't want to be a part of the church world. I didn't want to be a part of the games and the politics and the legalism and the religious well, spirit. Uh Okay, let's, let's pause right there. Let's put a pin in it because I, I want to unwrap that a second. Is It's awesome uh, knowing how you came to faith, and then all of a sudden you get this calling. And, folks, when you get a calling, you know it. And I have found typically, at least in my life and certain people I know, when you hear the call, it's not, oh, yes, thou servant waiteth, Lord, send me. It's typically, what? 
What? No, 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 no. How about we talk about this? That I've not, uh, my calling was in Timothy, and the verse that God gave me was uh, endure affliction and do the work of a, uh, of an evangelist. And I was like, I like the second half of that. What the, what, what the, what the, the affliction, not, not interested. But here's, here's, here's the question I have for you, Ron. How old are you? I'm 38 now. Okay. So 38, um, you represent a plots. My, my Belgian Malinois always want to be right up in the action here. You represent, and you come from a generation. This is very important to me. Because I'm going to be interviewing a guy. He heads up a social media and website called the New Inv- the New Evangelicals. He's got a pretty sizable following. And I told him, I said, man, you're kind of whiny, by the way. You're always complaining and going after conservatives and the even. But I said, you have a voice, and you're trying to say some stuff that... I partly believe because I can't stand the hypocrisy of the evangelical world, the the games, the ministry model of you know the machinery. Uh, that I don't I don't even fit into the machinery, uh, so I get it. But what what is it that's so? I mean, I guess I'm trying to say is. There's people listening to this podcast, thousands, that are going to say, yeah, Ryan and Victor and whoever that other fellow is, yeah, I kind of come from part of that. What would you say to them? What's How do you validate that but then move them beyond that? Yeah. Well, not that I understand everything that's going on in the world, but I do feel like I have a little bit of perspective and – I grew up at the tail end of the legalistic, hypocritical, judgmental church movement. Mm. And so that really burned a lot of people. A lot of people got exposed to that at a young age, either mom or grandma, maybe drug them to church and they got judged and they got, uh, you know, not a warm welcome. And they kind of just burned them on faith and they just felt kind of like, well, I'll never be good enough and I'll never be able to fit in with these people. And it's just not appealing because it didn't represent the heart of Jesus to people. So if I can just give a little bit of perspective, because I think this helps. So for years, there was a more of a a legalistic behavioral modification dynamic to the church world. And the, the attitude was... Once you behave, you can belong to our community. And I caught the tail end of that. So I grew up at the tail end of that where if you were a Christian, you didn't cuss, you didn't watch rated R movies, you didn't drink, you didn't smoke. And if you did mess up, you needed to spend a couple of months doing penance and proving how sorry you are. And maybe then you can rebuild your reputation and come back into our good graces. No wonder that term many people don't Don't cuss, chew. Uh, or hang out with girls that do, right? Yeah. That, that was the, yeah. So then if you flash forward to like the early 90s when the seeker-sensitive movement started, guys yeah. like Bill Hybels and Rick Warren, the Crystal Cathedral in California, 
these guys tried to create a shallow end of the pool where skeptics and spectators could come and observe and maybe feel a little bit more welcome, less threatened, less intimidated. And so what I like to do now, even though I've got my frustrations, which I'll, I'll get to in a second, I like to try to look on that movement with appreciation for what was good about it and give them some credit for the good that they did do. Because yeah. I think a lot of those guys brought a lot of people to faith. And at the end yeah. of the day, yeah. we want people in heaven. So that's huge, right? So these okay, guys made sure. church less intimidating. They And at the time, they were coming out of like the moral majority years of the 80s, right. which had a right. lot of problems. So they were trying to distance themselves from like politics and those hot button issues. Because at that point in America... Everybody knew that homosexuality was wrong. Everybody right. knew that abortion was wrong. They didn't have to really talk about it. So they focused more on practical application, the message of God's love and grace. In some ways, there was a lot of good that came out of that. A lot of us wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that movement. But then you can see how over the next decade to two decades, this steady diet of crackers and milk essentially like not a lot of discipleship heavy emphasis on evangelism it led to a whole generation of christians becoming essentially spiritually anemic where they were not nourished they did not have a solid foundation and so it left them ultra susceptible to the cultural lies and the devil's schemes and you start to see how over time, due to, one, a lack of submission to Christ, and two, biblical illiteracy, people began to drift away from solid biblical truth. And so then I would move to the early 2010 years when guys about my age, maybe a little older, started to come on the scene, this new generation of like, young, cool, culturally relevant pastors, if you want to use that phrase, they they brought like an interesting element to the church world in America. So I think about guys, for example, like Judah Smith or Stephen Furtick came on the scene or uh, Chad Veach, the infamous, or not Chad Veach, um, uh, Carl, Carl Lentz, the infamous Carl right. Lentz. Okay, right. so these guys came on the scene and they kind of made it cool to be a Christian again. <laughs> so a lot of right, right. a lot of my generation, they're listening to these guys preach and they're going, I've never Easy heard appeal. anything. Yeah. yeah, I've never heard anything yeah. like this. And I was thinking about this. I want to give, you know, a guy like Judah Smith credit. Uh, he has this really famous sermon on the prodigal son from Luke 15. It's probably the, mm -hmm. the one of the best sermons that's been preached in this whole generation. And it just represented God's heart for the prodigal so amazingly. I remember hearing that sermon as a young guy, just blown away, understanding God's grace in a new way. Like I never had heard it presented. So much good came out of that. Kind of as you move through the 20 teen years, I think this is my opinion. I'm not the ultimate judge, you know, jury and executioner, but this is what I think is some of these culturally influential pastors started to get sucked more and more into the celebrity world, uh, yeah. the appeal of being popular. Um, you know, and I don't know exactly what was going on in their hearts, but this is just kind of how I've seen it play out. 
that over time, you just never heard these guys talking about any difficult issue, any culturally controversial issue, anything that might put off their celebrity buddies. And so now you've got this whole generation of young people who haven't really heard solid teaching on like the inerrancy of God's word, the sanctity of life, sexuality as God created it. And so there's just a lot of confusion and it kind of came to a head for me in 2020 when, Mm. when the lockdowns kind of started happening across the country, I, uh, initially my church shut down like many churches did March 15th. Well, we're just kind of trying to figure out what's going on. We didn't really know what was happening. And I started getting onto this zoom call in Arizona with all the other large church pastors, a lot of good guys due to, I know like they love the Lord, their hearts in the right, their hearts in the right place. And what I started to realize is there was a spirit of fear amongst many of these guys. There was a heavy inclination towards people pleasing and a Mm -hmm. lack of leadership. Now I'm probably like one of the youngest guys in this zoom call. You would know some of these guys if I share their Mm -hmm. names and I'm not trying to throw them all under the bus or act like I have like it all figured out or something, you know, but I was shocked. And what happened was in May, the Arizona attorney general, Mark Burnovich put out a statement that churches were allowed to meet. So I heard that and I said, let's go. Like, if there was a question, it's over now. We're meeting. Let's spin this thing up. People need church. Church is essential. We're mm. going to gather. As I'm talking to these other pastors, they were like paralyzed by fear. It was paralysis right. by analysis. Right, right. What if what if somebody gets sick? What what if? And I'm and I'm here as you can relate to this as like a combat veteran. Right. And I'm like, yeah. What if somebody gets sick? <laughs> Nothing that you do is risk free. <laughs> like right. We did this thing in the military called risk assessment, right? (laughs) Where you look at potential risk, you take appropriate mitigation to minimize risk. And then sometimes you go like, hey guys, the risk is worth the reward. People need Jesus. People need the church. The risk of not meeting is greater than the risk of meeting. That's when I started to realize, I started using this kind of framework. There's like a whole generation of pastors that are peacetime pastors. Oh man, that's good. Doggone it. And we need American that's pastors really to realize that era is over. We need a wartime, wow. spiritual wartime yeah. Yeah. combat pastor to rise mm-hmm. up like Brother. a general in the battlefield and Brother. say, Brothers, we got to charge this hill. We got to take the hill for Jesus, right? Like for <laughs> to use the analogy. Uh, yeah. I love it. I'm listening to you and I think about, I don't know if you, because uh, we're just getting to know each other, but the work that we do, like right now, I've got teams that just deployed out into Iraq, uh, uh, a, a second one going, it was, you know, free work, and um, and then other places around the globe. But people, people tell me, they go, be safe. And I remember one time I was just coming back and I, I've got like 16 times over there and I was tired. Like my mind was tired and it was a Christian saying, man, be, be safe. And I said, I kind of snapped. I went, I, I know what you're saying, but you must understand from my perspective, inherently what I do is not safe. I, I play in a arena. That's not safe. People want to kill me. Bad guys know who I am. They shoot at me. 
sometimes we've had to shoot back. Yeah. All trying. So I just go, if you can't be safe, just pray for me that I'll be dangerous and wise. And then therefore, when we face the manifestation of evil, we'll, we'll, we'll be ahead of it. But, but I love what you're saying. And this makes sense to me. This is, I, I can, this part therapy going on right now. Uh, <laughs> because I, I love the fact you as a younger warrior get it. And you're articulating it in a way that makes some of the oldster guys go, yeah, that's, that's exactly what we need. Wartime pastors. I would call them chaplains. That was my day. I was going, you know, chaplains. So good chaplains are so underrated because they're out there doing the deal and people don't, don't even know. Well, continue. This is good. I'm about to pass an offering. <laughs> so as I'm talking to pastors around the Valley here in Arizona and also a lot of friends around the country, what I think is happening and I'm hearing rumblings of this uh, behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of pastors who are starting to realize we have made a massive mistake of mm-hmm. the previous generation thinking that we could avoid offending people by avoiding mm-hmm. the controversial issues and allow them to come into our churches and then we're going to help them get saved and grow in Christ. I would call it like the crockpot method of we're just going to let them sit in church and we're going to avoid running them off by offending them. And we're just going to trust that over time they're going to get it. Now, I think there's a whole generation of pastors, older and younger, who are realizing, uh-oh, we done messed up. Because there's a whole, and here's when they realized it. This is when they realized it, when Roe v. Wade was overturned. Right. This, and, and I was like right. shocked. I was shocked when I saw this, that oh, across America, you get anywhere from pastors essentially talking about this like it's a, a somber moment. Right. Or you get them where they are reluctantly acknowledging that it's good with all kinds of caveats and exemptions and statements. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Right. This right. is like the most clear cut win of my lifetime, at least in the political world, uh, as it relates to the church and culture. And my pastor friends are sitting there muzzled. Like they can't, right. they can't sell. I'm thinking what is happening here. And here's what happened. They all realized in that moment, whether consciously or subconsciously, uh Oh, I cannot celebrate this because right. there is a large contingent of people in my church who do not think them. this is good and I'll lose them. I'll lose them. I'll hurt them. I'll hurt what I'm trying to do here. It'll rock the boat. And these guys went into public relations damage control in that moment, rather than I'm going to be a pastor right now Boom. and celebrate. See, I, I love this. You, you are using anesthesia to communicate the truth. I, I was told by a, a good friend and a well-known pastor, he goes, Victor, you are a, people look at you like a power plant, a nuclear power plant. You'll either light a city up or burn it down. And and I'm like, I know, I wish there was something different. But uh, so on that point, there's a pastor in your valley. I won't give his name, but it starts with Caleb and it ends with Campbell. And he's the lead pastor of Desert Spring Bible Church. 
Now, I, I can say this publicly because he he had an opinion publicly about me and Charlie Kurt, Rob um, McCoy, because this article came out in, um, I think it was the Arizona and something, uh, but it was front page on November 4th, Arizona Republic paper. But he, he came out, and this is what he said. Um, and, I mean, I'd love to have him be on the show. Uh, I've already, I'll tell you what I text him. But I just said, you know, he, he came out. He had started attending that organization, Turning Point Faith, which is the faith arm, which I belong to as a contributor. Uh, he started attending their meetings, but he was taking notes because he has a very strong stand against what he calls Christian nationalism. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Uh, uh, so, but he took all these notes, Ryan, and he's developing a book, but he, he, he attended a session I was speaking at, um, at a, uh, another church there in town. And there was a, where, where he came against me is, uh, I, I, the short synopsis of it. There was a guy that came in, he was a third-time offender of cheating on his wife, and I got them together a couple of times back. Uh, I was an associate pastor in Southern California, but this guy was tripping on meth, and his wife called me and said he just hit our daughter, a toddler. Knocked the daughter, punched her against the wall. She had to call for medical help and then the police. And he showed up at the church because he wanted to be reunited with his wife, right? And that's how it just happened. So he, I got him in my office again, third time. And, you know, he's like, oh, I've messed up and blah, blah, blah. And this is to bring clarity for anybody that's listening. And he goes, you know, can you get me back together with my wife? And I'm like, your wife called me. Dude, you just punched your toddler and banged her off of a wall. And I think it caused a hole in the wall. So it was forceful. I just said, uh. No, man. No. And then he starts crying. I don't know what's wrong with me because he got busted. And uh, he, he said this. He said this, Ron. He goes, maybe I should just be beat. And look, I'm, you know, what? I'm not even six months out of the Marine Corps or something. I'm, you know, I'm like, yeah, I think that's appropriate. <laughs> and we can probably justify it by the scripture laying hands on you. So anyway, I hurt his feelings a little bit, pinned him to the ground, you know, and all this type of stuff. Um, and I, 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 you know, the head associate pastor came and got me. He was like, Victor, you can't hit somebody. I'm like, no, he asked for it, and it's okay. So it's a funny story that I certainly wouldn't recommend to young pastors. It's where I was in life. But this guy tells it. He goes, we're laughing at beating up people and coming to uh, And so I text him. Then I'm going to ask you, is it Matthew 18 or 28? Which one? Yeah, Matthew 18. So I try to do the Matthew 18 because um, our organization has an intel division. I mean, that's how we do what we do. And uh, and then I had some friends, and it wasn't hard to get his personal cell number. So I texted him. And I said, and uh, and I'm open to correction, but this is this is just... What happened? And this was just literally a few days ago. I texted him and said, hey, I'm interested in attending your church. Um, 
can I get the address and the service times? He said, hello. Sorry, who is this? I said, it's Victor Marks. I just read an article that you included me in. Thanks. Silence. Didn't <laughs> respond for like, a, you know, I wait an hour. I said, I'm also up to grabbing a cup of coffee today or tomorrow to meet with you while I'm, while I'm, I'm here in town. Silence. He's quiet. I wait a couple of more hours, and I said, look, my advanced team just landed in Iraq, and I made to do a quick pump. I may need to do a quick pump over there. But since I was in town here in Phoenix to officiate a friend's wedding, I just read the article, and I thought, what a great opportunity. So let me know, champ. We'll get together. Do you think that's appropriate so far? Yeah. Totally. Right? Man to man, just, hey. Mm-hmm. Well, well, he does nothing Friday. Nothing all day Saturday. Sunday morning. I have to decide if I'm going to go to his church, which he still hadn't given me the address, and and uh, which was my way of saying he's welcoming me because I don't know if I want to show up. You know, he'd be all sweating. <laughs> uh, so I, I tell him, I'm going to go. I have to go speak at another friend's church. But this is what I said. And, folks, I'm only reading this kind of as a guideline to how to have civil dialogue with someone that either doesn't want to communicate or whatnot, where Christians, you have to speak the truth in love. And men, be a man. Just step up, because this guy is not being a man. Mm-hmm. And he's a pastor. And of all mm-hmm. people, he should be responding. And in the article, he talks about he's he's preparing, that he's writing a book on guys like you and me who take a stand for certain things. Yeah. And he's it, it's extreme. So this is what I said, folks, do you want to hear this? All right, it's an object lesson right here. I said, sir, I sent it as Sunday morning at 8.07. Sir, your silence is telling. Do you lack integrity of character that you want to gauge someone who you wrote about and who politely reached out to you to attend your church? I hope you are not of that sort that will somehow try to justify it because the reality is, I'm not saying he is, but I'm saying the reality is cowards always know who they are when their head hits the pillow every night. Even though others do and will know about you, it's your own conscience that will replay and have to justify any false piety and passivity you currently may live in. Now, I'm hopeful that we can meet face-to-face one day, as men should do. And I'll buy that first cup of coffee, Victor Marks. That's good. It's just straight shooting. And, folks, I share that publicly because, one— he publicly did an article and included me in it and a few of my friends. And if this pastor wants to actually work through details, you don't ninja yourself into people's meetings taking notes. You contact them and say, hey, could I meet with Charlie or Will, who's in charge of Temple of Faith, or Rob McCoy or Victor? But he doesn't. So if this gets out and you hear it, buddy, again, I'll buy the first cup of coffee and we can talk about it. We don't have to agree to have a conversation. But I'm encouraged that guys like you, uh, Pastor Ryan, have gone through this, you know, and understand have come to a place of, well, I would just call it maturity, that's all. And I do agree with you that a lot of pastors are afraid. Mm -hmm. But afraid of what? Losing Mm -hmm. people? Afraid of what? Not being popular? Yeah, 
I think here, here's what I want to do. I want to try to avoid in my heart becoming pessimistic and I want to be hopeful yeah. for yeah. fellow pastors. And so I feel like the majority of these pastors, their hearts are in the right place, but they don't yet see the reality of the world and the culture that we're living mm. in. I'm seeing some of them start to figure out. So I think there's kind of like those early adopters that are seeing like the sons yes. of Ithacar in first Chronicles. They understood the times and what they ought to do. Jesus rebuked in Luke 12, the people for not discerning the times Romans 13 says, know the times. So mm. today pastors, they need to understand the times that we're living in and make strategic adjustments to ministry and the way that they're approaching their church and their culture and teaching of the word of God. They think there's, there's multiple problems and there's multiple issues. Some of it is fear of man. They don't want to offend people and get disapproval or lose people. Right. Some of it is just confusion. And they mm. think that the best way to reach the lost is by not rocking the cultural boat they want to make church more appealing to lost people by avoiding the hot button issues. And so these are the guys I talk to sometimes and I'm like, bro, your heart's in the right place, but you're not. Wrong tactic. Wrong tactic. It's wrong tactic. Remember yep. Bill Hybels after what, 30 years of this, he, yep. he wrote a letter and said, I'm the one who started the seeker sensitive. Yeah. And he goes, I blew it. The cafes yep. in church, the lattes. He goes, it didn't work. We didn't make yeah disciples what i think they are going to eventually realize is that they are taking on the holy spirit's job to convict and transform people and i Whoa. think I've, I've realized this that did you hear that producer that's powerful <laughs> man i've been realizing this that and, and I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't always get this my earlier right. years in pastoring i was doing a lot of the same things thinking I'm going to reach lost people this way. And we did reach a lot of lost people, but I, I kind of started to see it over time. And I've repented of the ways that I messed this up in the oh. early years. I re it's one of my greatest regrets, not being more bold about these issues sooner. But I'm realizing now that these hot button cultural issues, they are not a barrier to reaching the lost. They're actually right. the key to reaching the lost. Yes. It yes. is an evangelistic opportunity. And here's what, and I have, I'll give scriptural support for that. So an example would be the woman at the well that yeah. Jesus talks to. And she asks a spiritually seeking question. Where, where do I get this water? Right. Mm. But according to the seeker sensitive movement, you got her right where you want her. She's like mm. asking for truth. You could lead this woman in the sinner's prayer right there. And right. what does Jesus say? Go get your husband. I mean, what? What? <laughs> and it's like, by, by all intents and purposes, you look at this at the surface and you're thinking, Jesus, you're making it kind of hard for this woman to come to faith. No, what he's doing is he is poking on her heart issue, her yes. heart issue. And, and he's showing her like, what you're looking for, it's not satisfying you. And he does it by addressing what is essentially her sexual promiscuity, her sexual right. sin. That was her and thing. That, that's not very seeker sensitive, is it? 
Right. But well, the, you, yeah. And no, by no. doing this, the woman goes, she basically comes to the realization, oh, this, this guy's different. There's something about this guy. <laughs> right. Right. You know? And uh, didn't he do the same thing for the fella that was laying at the pool of Bethesda? Mm, 40 yeah. years he's racked up yeah and jesus says hey do you want to be healed yeah but i just in the water in the and jesus was addressing that core deal of like it's easier than you think but is this the life you really want exactly and the other example that i like to point to is the rich young ruler who is asking you know what do i have to do Jesus gives him a pretty tall order, you know, go sell everything you have and give right. it away and then come follow me. And the guy goes away sad because he had a lot of wealth and Jesus didn't chase him down and say, wait, wait, stop, stop, stop. You know, I, I want to make it easy for you to, to seek and find. He, he just acknowledged and recognized that not everyone is going to choose to follow Christ. Wow. And yet the woman at the well did. She went and got her town and said, come see the one who told me everything I ever did. So all that being said, Jesus told the rich young ruler, money, money's your issue. Mm. How many pastors try to avoid talking about money at all costs? Right, right, right. How many pastors avoid calling people out for living with their boyfriend and girlfriend? Right. Call them out for, you know, affirming homosexuality. And so they avoid these issues thinking, hey, I'm just trying to reach lost people. You know, you, you got to let people belong before they believe. That's not biblical. I love it. I, it, it I've got a friend uh, who uh, him and his girlfriend, I married them. And uh, he's pretty well known, dude. And when we met, you know, about a month before I was going to marry them, I said, uh, so... Hey, you kids live together, don't you? <laughs> Boy, he dropped his head, so did she. I said, I'm not here to condemn you, but I'm here to exhort you and challenge you. I said, y'all having sex? I'm not even going to assume it. And they're like, yeah. And I said, uh, what do you think about that? You know what he said? It's hypocritical, isn't it? I said, yeah, of course it is. What are we going to do about it? I said, there's a, we have one month before I marry you two. I says, from my position, we got two choices. Either you completely abstain and you don't sin. That goes against God's will. You don't sin. You honor God and you honor each other and prove that you have self-control. Or I'll marry you right now in my living room here in Colorado because I can do it right now. And then y'all can go knock boots all you want because it's legal <laughs> and honoring. And, and uh, you know, I was both pleased and shocked at their response. They said, we're hypocritical. We know a lot of people watch us. And he, he, he goes, they talked about it without me there. And they said, we want to honor God and each other. That's we good. will abstain. That's good. I said, it won't be easy, but you can do it. You got the power of God's spirit. You know what? I just married them. They told me the day of, we we never slept together. The whole month, we That's honored great. God and each other. And you know what's wild? This dude said, he goes, 
we really got to know each other in a mm. deep way. I said, yes, yes. Yeah. So again, I, it you know there are just things where the basics uh, have been left out or justified. I remember when you were you would be a kid, and I was speaking and traveling in these circles, and what like about yanked my head off my shoulders is when a youth pastor told me oral sex is not sex. Ugh. It's okay. And then I was like, uh, better repent or I'm going to throat punch you. No, it, it's, it's, I just went, well, how in the world? Okay. You know, cause when my wife and I met, uh, we had both been in the world before we come to faith, we meet at church and we decided to actually follow the Bible. And mm-hmm. that's one of the big ones. Don't fornicate or adultery. And it's like, well, it's right there. So we made a decision. We're not going to sleep together until we're married. So our engagement was short. It was like three months. And uh, and then we got married. And yet, here we are 34 years this year, brother. We've never cheated or been mm-hmm. cheated on. We, we have honored God. He's honored us. So... I just think it's one of those things where young people need to be challenged from the pulpit. The power's in the preaching. Imams, clerics, the power's in the preaching. And that's where I think we're heading for a possible revival of hearts within the church, not non-believers, the the church. And uh, Charlie Kirk said it really well at an event with Dr. Dobson we were at. Um he said pastors kind of fall in three categories currently. They're either complacent, um, or, uh, which, you know, they're just kind of doing the deal, don't rock the boat, mm-hmm. or they're compliant, mm-hmm. which I would say is this fellow who wrote an article or was in that article. They're compliant. They want to they wanna stick close to, and, and as we would see it, compromise and not a, yeah. or they're cowards. And believe it or not, Charlie said this, and it got me thinking, because Charlie's a pretty smart fellow, right? Yes, yes. And And I go, he said, cowards can be turned, and mm. so can the complacent. Yes. But those that choose to be compliant, that want that, that stick to it, they don't want. So it's what you said. You're seeing that group that they may be fearful, but that's what somebody can come along and encourage them. I mean, yeah. me and you, we yes. know, we know, uh, we know real world. And when you see people in your team are, you know, engaging bad guys or doing something, hey, it's, it's, it's the synergy's unreal, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like I, uh, I think about, you know, I was an armor officer in a cavalry unit, but I always think about as a pastor, the infantry motto, follow me. And a lot of these guys who are struggling with what I would call cowardice, they just need some strong leaders to lead the way. And I've, I'm not perfect. I don't have all the answers, but I feel called to be a leader in this area. I've noticed over the last two years, as I've stepped into this and become even more clear and more bold that our church has grown faster than ever, ever people are hungry for the truth. They're grateful. 
And yeah. I love your story about what you did with your friend in that living room because it's a great illustration for a lot of my preaching philosophy. What you did for them was kindness. It was yes. kindness. And yes. you know, a lot of pastors, they're confused. They're trying to be nice. And when I think of niceness, I think of it's inoffensive, it's polite, it avoids rocking the boat. And niceness is not a fruit of the spirit, but kindness is. And you're, if you're, you're saying exactly what I did at a pastor's conference. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, That's a, it's the truth. This is great, man. Yeah, and I was actually studying this other oh, day. Yes. The word kindness in Greek, it is very similar to the word goodness, but with also the idea of integrity. So there's like a truthfulness to it. And so I've been saying this, I've been preaching this, but clarity is kindness. Mm -hmm. And what you did was a perfect example of that because it wasn't condemning. You weren't there to destroy them. You weren't there to shame them, but you were clear. What you're doing is sinful, but I love you and God has something better for you. That's a great example of truth and grace together. It's kindness and clarity which is kindness helps people to know the truth and it's knowing the truth that sets them free. You set, you helped set them free by God's grace from the power of sin and you help them establish a new foundation to build their marriage on a foundation of righteousness, which carries forward. Like just with your marriage, years of faithfulness, me and my wife, we've been married for over 10 years now. We did not have sex before we were married and we've got an amazing marriage, an amazing sex life great friendship and it's built on the foundation of not being perfect but doing it god's way doing it god's way and so i'm trying to show pastors as much as god gives me the opportunity you can be bold and clear bringing truth and grace it's not condemning it's kindness because it gives people the opportunity to really choose do you want to submit your life to jesus as lord or do you want to go away sad like the rich young ruler because you're not willing to give up your sin and if that's your choice it's not my job to chase you down it's not my job to change the truth to make it less offensive to you It's my job. It's actually loving for me to show you the truth so that you can choose and find freedom. And I think that there's going to be more and more pastors who do see this. And yet at the same time, there are those who they want to have one foot in the world and maybe one foot in the word. I don't know. And they're going to compromise. But you see over time that those churches that for lack of a better phrase, they, they're essentially trending towards becoming apostate. Right. Or I, call, I call them the woke churches, right? Right, right. They, they're going to die. You just see it. They lose the anointing of God. They lose the presence of God. And they just die this slow, painful death. Or they turn into some kind of abomination that doesn't represent like what a biblical church is supposed to look like. Right. I think there will be a revival among the well, this, this fella uh, that I mentioned for his church in Phoenix, he lost 80% of his church when COVID mm-hmm. hit because of his stands. And now he's, uh, and that's probably, you know, he's probably butthurt a little bit about all that when he sees other churches like yours growing. But it's like, dude, all you have to do is have the courage, step up, do the right thing. Um, I use the analogy, uh <laughs> Uh, and I tell people, I'm not nice. I just want to get this out of the way. I'm not a nice person. I'm kind, 
but <laughs> but I'm not nice. So if you if you understand that, we'll get along. And you, you but I tell girls a uh, little PSA for single women out there: uh, be very careful of the nice guy, including the nice guy at church. Nice mm-hmm. people want something, and mm-hmm. the and the moment they can't get what they want, they're not nice anymore. It's all contingent on what you can do for them. They'll do a short or long game to get it. And when they don't, you'll see who they really are. A kind man, a kind dude, he will do the right thing regardless of the outcome because he has character. So this this is fun. This is good. I, I you know, we're going to we're going to have to close this one off for time's sake, but uh I got a feeling you'll be a repeat offender on the show uh, because you, you, you're you just solid, brother. And then uh, when I come to Phoenix, let me uh, let me be an usher or something when I'm in there. I'll hand out bulletins. I want to come visit your church. Uh, what what a what what a great place! T- tell everybody uh, watching or listening the name of your church and the location yeah. and how they can look it up, please. Yeah, my name my name is Ryan Visconti. Uh, I'm on social media at Ryan Visconti. My church is called Generation Church, and uh, our website's uh, Generation dot Church. So it's pretty easy to find. And then how did you get that? Was good. How did you get that? That's oh, I, I jumped on that dot Church domain like the day it came out. <laughs> Bam. Yeah, so you can find me on the YouTubes and on Instagram, and you can find our website. But we have a campus in mesa arizona in south phoenix and then also in fountain hills and online ministry going on if you want to jump on there from across the country we'd love to have and, you and there's a lot of people that contact me and they just go victor i'm having a hard time finding a church where i live that aligns with my values so folks that's why i bring on guests like ryan uh for you to go hey get follow his work his podcast follow him on social media uh become a member of the church if there's not something better in your area, uh, then uh, believe me, watching online, that's not forsaking fellowship. You're getting it. And yeah. uh, it, it's if that's the best that can be done, because you want to grow, you want to be encouraged, uh, that, that matters. And then also pastors listening, uh, th- there's a group called Turning Point USA Faith, and it is a great organization for pastors to become part of. And um, it's it's solid, or we wouldn't be part of it. Uh, so yeah, this is good, Ryan. You, you've given a lot of good insight today, uh, and a lot of wisdom. Uh, it, it, but it's lived out practical wisdom, and I think people are going to respond to this in a wonderful way. I think it's going to be sad for their heart, hope for their heart, uh, uh, and it's exciting. Hey. So before we leave, I always ask my guests two questions, two final questions, and there's no wrong answer. Uh, It's it's just coming from your heart. The first one uh, is kind of odd, but it's because you don't really know us necessarily what we do, but this is, I always ask people, what is your perception of me or my wife or our ministry, what we do? What is your perception? Yeah, my perception of Victor Marks is guy is a straight shooter and (laughs) and i you know what i really like about 
what you're doing, Victor, is you're just letting God use you being who you are, not trying to be something you're not. And your ministry, uh, I, I don't know you as well as I hope to know you eventually, but what I can tell is your ministry, it all stems from a place of just real transformation that came through Jesus. And so you're, you're, you're what I would call a Jesus guy. I Thank like you. I, me personally, I like Jesus guys. They, they might be a little rough around the edges, but that's yeah. not a bad thing because no. at the same time they get stuff done, they make a difference and they genuinely love Jesus. I like yeah. Jesus guys. Yeah, man. Thank you. That's those, those are kind words. And, and, uh, you know, I joke about, you, you know, just if people can be the thumbprint, the fingerprint of who God made them, that's the best. I mean, could you imagine if everybody who attended your church was just operating in the identity of who God made them to be? And running in their lanes, would that blow you away? Because isn't yeah. that part of your goal? Yeah. Just man, fall in love with the Lord, uh, and run, run strong, and wait till you meet my wife. Woo, she is, <laughs> she is something else. Uh, last question. Uh, we talked about early on your time in Iraq and learning about your mortality, which is a gift when you're a younger man, because uh, you know things perspective happens pretty quick mm. but everybody's gonna die it doesn't matter christian non-republican mm. democrat gay straight not any way every, people die when ryan dies what's gonna happen to you and why do you believe it when i die i'm gonna see jesus Face to face, because I believe what he said that in John, John 11, Jesus said, anyone who believes in me will never die. And Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the first fruits among many brothers, Romans says. So the way that Jesus rose from death and defeated death, I know that my spirit will be in heaven um, if I die before he returns. And not because I'm a good person, not because I've done more good than bad, but because I trusted in Jesus to save me. Like the way you jump out of an airplane, you pull the parachute and you trust it to save you. That's what it really looks like to just trust Jesus. Like he's the one that does the saving and my faith is in him and I'm going to stand on his goodness and trust him. So it is a gift in many ways to at a young age face your mortality and recognize, Oh, I could die. I think I had that thought when I was about, I think I was 23 or 24 at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, Oh, I could die. And, it, and I, in that moment, I, it hit me like a ton of bricks, but then I went, yeah. Okay. What if I die? Let's do this thing. <laughs> Let's get busy right. living. And right. I don't want to die, but, uh, I do look forward to heaven. And I'll tell you what, the older I get, things start hurting. The world is crazy. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, hey, Lord, you know, take any time now. I'll, whenever you're done with me here, I'm looking for, I, mean, I joke sometimes, you know, when I was a young, young guy, teenager growing up in church, I would always think, Jesus, I don't want you to come back yet. I'm All so right. a virgin. You right. know, I, I want to have right. sex first. Now I'm 38. And I'm like, okay, Lord, anytime is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and and I, I've heard that from like my kids would say, I don't want because we would talk about the rapture, and they're like, yeah. but I don't have my license yet, Dad. And then I was like, I want to get married, Dad. I want to have kids, Dad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think the cool thing is the older you get, the things of this world grow dim. Yeah, that they they're not so shiny. They're not so yeah. you know. It's like ah, uh, and um, things come into perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I I spoke at a church recently, and I just got up and I started getting emotional because mm-hmm. it hit me that I've really won. I've mm-hmm. I've I won mm-hmm. the marriage. We made it. I didn't kill myself. I didn't mm-hmm. kill other people. You know, in a bad way whatever you you know it's like man i got kids i got grandkids mm. lord your word is true you really have been faithful to me and uh so i i'm i'm thankful that he's given us a platform and he's allowing us to do what we do and this platform uh featured you today and i got a feeling there's this probably at least one at least one person listening that goes, dang it, you guys. Now y'all just, I don't have that, mm. you know, I don't have that insurance. What, you know, how, how, how can you help them know and have what you have? Is it the magical prayer or is it just Jedi night thinking? What is it? <laughs> uh, yeah. I like to tell people there, there's no magical prayer, but I do like to help people if they are ready to pray and accept the Lord, you know, sometimes it helps to have someone help you articulate what's going on in your heart. And if you pray in your heart and you mean it, even if you don't say the perfect words, it really comes down to this. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And Mm -hmm. anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's Mm -hmm. not just praying the prayer, but the prayer is a reflection of recognition that Jesus is the savior of the world and you want him to be your savior, but not just your savior, your Lord. And that means I'm done doing it my way. Jesus, you're going to be in control of my life. Now I'm going to trust you that you died for my sins so I could be forgiven and made right with God. You rose again so I could have victory over sin and death. I'm going to follow you from this day forward. And I thank you for loving me. Now I ask you to lead me in Jesus name and wherever you're at, you could pray that prayer. And if you mean it, God hears it and it changes your destiny. You go from being an enemy of God to a child of God. And the Bible talks about having your name written in the book of life. And that means your eternity is going to look entirely different. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect immediately or that your life will completely change. Does definitely doesn't mean your life will be easy, but it will be better. Because knowing Jesus and following him is better than anything the world has to offer. Does that go for, does that little, the way you just kind of talk people through, does that go for the person who says, gosh, I kind of know the Lord, but I am nowhere near walking with them. You mm-hmm. referenced prodigal. I'm the prodigal mm-hmm. person. What do they do? Yeah, I think if you want to be close to God, he, you can be close to him in a moment. You know, the, the, the journey to finding the Lord, it's really just as simple as deciding you want him. He said in scripture, the God says, return to me and I will return to you. And so it's when you, in your heart, essentially return towards 
the Lord and you say, I want you, boom, he's right there in that moment. You don't have to go searching. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to clean your life up. He's going to come and change your life. And he responds to anybody who wants him. If you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart, God says. So he's not hiding from you. You know, if you if you have this sense that you want more of God in your life, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have every theological issue figured out. But it just boils down to I want you, God, like I want whatever you've got. I don't understand it all. I don't even know what to ask for in some ways. I just want you and I'm going to take every good thing you have for me. That's a prayer God responds to. And I love it. Hey, folks, if you prayed or this this show today, this podcast that you're listening to, minister to you, would you let us know? You can just, I mean, you can jump on either one of our social media platforms in the intranets out there. Uh, you can go to our website, victormarks.com. That's victormarks with an X.com. Let us know. We're always encouraged when we hear that God is touching hearts and encouraging believers and bringing those to faith who don't know them. So wherever you are and whatever you're doing, and do it for the glory of God. Now go get it done. Till next time, this is Victor Marks. God bless you. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.